Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to Eleven. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. We have Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. Hello. And we have joining us once again, Steve Hartland. Steve, say hi to everyone out there. Howdy, everyone. Now, Steve, the last time you were on, we were praying for you because you had done some uh, damage to your arm, um, and you recently had surgery. So just give us an update. Tell us how everything's going with that. I appreciate that. It does make me feel a little conspicuous, however. It's like, you know, talk about yourself for a while. uh, Don't worry, uh, dude. If you don't, I'll talk about myself. uh, (laughs) Short story is February 20, I had a surgery for the elbow, tricep tendon, and eight weeks later, I retore it. So uh, I've been uh, either in a cast or a brace for three months now. I forget what it's like to live without a cast or a brace in my arm. Man. It's going to be going to be weird. Just yesterday, they gave me some range of motion in this brace, so I'm real happy. But nice. uh, the Harley Davidson is still a long way away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, long. maybe fall? Maybe? Maybe, or maybe next spring. Oh, it's hard spring. to say, because the arm's got to be strengthened, so I have to be done with physical therapy, back in the gym, working with that arm. It's got yeah. some muscle coming back. Then I can get on the hog. So so is this going to happen where you're probably healed by like January and you can't get on the Harley <laughs> until April? Cool. Oh, I will ride in January. Good, good, good. <laughs> I might good. go see Benny Hinn or somebody. And get, <laughs> get Ernest Angsley and get it we fixed can, up. Ernest, man. Uh, there, we haven't had an Ernest body in a while. You are spatial. Uh, that arm right. will be healed. That's it, man. Uh, Leave this brace on their stage and go home. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You are healed. Uh Um, So, no, that's great. Thank you so much for uh, the update. Thank you for coming in and joining us. Um, Today, we're going to start our conversation talking about uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, And so, Greg, why don't you go ahead and read that text for us real quick? Absolutely. A famous verse and one that's probably on many a graduation card and banner and balloons, particularly in Christian homes and... Uh, believing homes, religious homes, and uh, I fear we might burst a bubble here, but let me just read the (laughs) the verse. Uh, It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Sometimes verse 12 is quoted, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Uh, Verse 13 as well, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But usually that first part i know the plans i have for you is um, the most famous out of out of everything there yes yeah and i i remember uh singing in a graduation several years ago when i was teaching and i think literally more than half the students who were there got up and quoted that verse sure. as their uh, life verse yeah um and, and it is this is a big time of the year it's going to be in almost every single christian graduation card it's going to be on uh, every single Christian graduate's mouth that's going off into college, those that are going to college into the real world. Um, so tell me, from, from your perspective, based on what the Bible says, um, let's start bursting some bubbles here. Yeah. Um, why um, do you dislike this verse being used in that context so much? Man, dude, I'm so glad you said that for a second. I thought you were going to slip and say, why do you dislike this verse? <laughs> there are certain verses of the Bible that I dislike. Just don't like that. Yeah, it's like, uh-huh. is, that, is that wrong? Is that, <laughs> should I do <laughs> Is that not something I should say? Um, well, you See, know now what? you got me thinking, is there a verse in the Bible I don't really yeah. like? Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, There's probably, probably many. Probably some, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we would qualify that. The flesh right. rises up and uh-huh. fights against it, That's all right. those you know, appropriate caveats. But I watch how I deflect or I should say defer, Nathan, since <laughs> we were asking Steve last week via That's right. texting and emailing you know, topics, and I believe it was Steve Harlan that wanted to bring that. this That's topic right. up. So, Steve, I'm curious, what would you say to that question about 
Jeremiah 29 and 11. Yeah, it's a great verse. Amen. We love that verse. And uh, I really wish well for all the high school graduates who are going to use that verse or hear that verse. The, the only problem is that verse isn't really speaking about them. No. Yeah. Yeah. So it has a context, of course. And right. you know, we know the context is uh, Israel has just become uh, captive in Babylon. She's going to be there 70 years. So there's pain, there's misery, there's poverty, there's sorrow, there's suffering, there's slavery, there's, it's just a mess. And God gives them this word, this word to encourage them saying, all right, guys, this isn't the rest of your life. So you're going to be there 70 years, but while you're there, do the bloom where you're planted thing. It's yeah. in the same context here. And then um, he's saying the, ca- the captivity is going to end and I'm going to take you back to your land and the rest of it. And I don't know how, but my app here just got changed to the King James Version. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't, Dude, that's awesome. I, that's because we mentioned Ernest Angsley and it changed. Uh, and I can't get back to the ESV. But anyway, it, it goes on and uses like Abrahamic covenant language right. where it's saying like, yeah. uh, uh, I'll be found of you. I'll turn away your cap. I'll gather you from the nations. I'll bring you again into the place where I cause you to be carried away. So he's just saying, I'm going to give you uh, the Abrahamic promises again, land, seed, blessing, it's all going to come back, wait 70 years, and, and it's going to be good. This is not a verse that says to every Christian graduating, hey, God has this wonderful, wonderful, amazing plan ahead for you. He has a plan. All yeah. things work according yeah. to the counsel of his will, yeah. but you might break your leg tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Right. You know? Or you might not get that job, or yeah. you might not go to the college you want to go to, or you might not marry the girl you want to marry. So you can't quote this verse and imagine that it means, wow, God's just going to do all this amazing stuff that I want. Life's going to be so fun. Uh, you know, try that in Haiti. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Go preach that in Haiti. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great point, Steve. And I, in fact, I uh, as uh, I told you, I I preached this passage not not just that verse. I preached uh, a couple of summers ago a little uh, series called Prayer and Providence, and said I, I might burst a bubble or two here. Uh, said many of the things that uh, you just said so well, and uh, you know summed up so quickly, and and I uh, I shared some of those same things. Looked at it again in the broader context and uh, did have a, a lady, a sweet lady in our church, loves the Lord very much, who said to me, so I can't, are you saying I can't huh. take anything from that verse to apply? And I asked her what she meant. She sort of went the Romans 8, 28 yeah. way, which I think you just alluded to. And yeah. I said, yeah, sometimes you can get somewhat the right meaning from, <laughs> from the wrong, the wrong verse. text, uh-huh. or you imported into right. another uh-huh. place. But I think what you're getting at, Steve, and we talked about this even before we sort of went live today, yeah. um, was the the idea that it seems like there's a little bit of an American dream, um, implicitly suggested picture. Yeah. The way people quote that verse. Yeah. Because to me, that means okay. I, I'm just going to lay it out. I hear that verse as an 18 year old. I associate that application, the plans I have to give you a future and a hope, with all the things you just said. Diploma, good-paying job, a wife who is godly and also beautiful. Gorgeous baby. <laughs> you, you, you want as a, uh-huh. a a theologically solid, wonderful Christian uh, baby who's also hot. Yeah. Amen. And you, you, you're right. You want all that. Hallelujah. Sounds and, like my wife. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sounds like all our wives. That's right. right. <laughs> case, case you're listening, ladies. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, I want that. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, I want to be active in my church, but but there's there's a very much Christianized American dream that I'm just admitting my mind associates with the moment I hear that verse. 
yeah. in a graduation context or a, a life achievement context. I yeah. think, wow, look what God's promised yeah. waiting for me. And, you know, you guys know I had a friend that, that passed away this past fall just a few days before Thanksgiving. He was 44. Suddenly, a uh, mm. wonderful wife, uh, three mm. beautiful girls that are all uh, elementary school age, and he's gone. So I'm wondering if he had heard that verse when he was 18. Yeah. How does his destiny, which we now know he's in glory, how does that square with that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, th- those are the things that come yeah. to my mind, Steve, when you mention that. Yeah, I, I almost equate this verse with, um, in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. I mean, how many times do we hear people say that over and over and over again through any and every circumstance? Sure. And we look at the context in which Paul says that, and there's almost this aha moment where it's like, oh, th- those are the things that I can do yeah, through Christ. Right. I can you be know? rich and I can be poor. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, I can be on the edge of death or I can be well. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. those things I can do through Christ. Yeah, talking about the American dream side of this thing just uh, reminds me, this is a verse you know that the health and wealth crowd really piles onto. Sure. They, they love this. And uh, I think it's interesting that the health and wealth movement, I think, began in the United States. It's, it's, I know we're exporting yeah. it. Yeah. And I can't believe some of the countries that are importing it. Like, yeah. what are they thinking? They should know better. Right. But yeah. um, it's, it's very American to think, yeah, God has this great stuff for me and great yeah. blessings. Now, I, here's another perspective on the verse. I do believe there is a fulfillment of that verse for you, for me, for you, for every, for every Christian. So let, let me tweak you a little bit yeah, with this. Please. I think what we have here, since it gets into Abrahamic covenant language, yeah. This will depend on your eschatology, your doctrine of future things. I happen to be an amillennial mm-hmm. guy, sure. and I believe that uh, I believe the church is the new Israel. Mm-hmm. So Israel was changed, uh, transformed. Uh, the the axe was laid at the root, and uh, he pur- thoroughly pur- purged his threshing floor. Jesus did. And he started a new thing called the church with Jew and Gentile. We're grafted in with the Jews, and so on. So, um, I think these promises have a fulfillment. The, the land, the seed, the blessing promises, they have a fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When when I'm dead or when I'm in the new heavens and the new earth, these things will happen to me. Then I'll have, you know, you'll be back in the land and I will bless you and all this great stuff will happen to you and so yeah. on. Yeah. So I think those land promises and all the blessings associated with them got transferred over to the church, but it's her future. So in other words, uh, Folks who are abusing this verse really have an over-realized eschatology. Yeah, right. It's a great way to put it. There, there's stuff that's coming, but I think it's now. Well, actually, it's not now. It's going to be later in your yeah. life. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good. And you know, I actually think, Steve, when you look at the verse in its original context, even then, it, for for its most immediate application, because I think what you just shared as a theological application, and I I really share the same you know, end times with you, and we'll go at that hard at some other time, I'm sure. But the immediate context is interesting because you've got they're about to go into exile 70 years so the majority of these folks that do return are not the majority of the people that hear the promise originally Uh they're they're going to be dead they're going to die and so you've really got even in their most immediate context the promise is much more selfless it's it 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 sort of reminds me of hebrews abraham saw these things from afar greeted them from Mm. afar but he was looking for something beyond him. It was yeah. going to be his later descendants that inherited this. And then just when you think you know who those people are, uh, meaning the generation that comes out of Egypt 400 plus years later, whenever that was, most of them don't get it. Yeah. Because yeah. other than Joshua and Caleb, they die and fall in the wilderness and yeah. it's the second generation. So there's a sense in which even the most immediate 
understanding of that promise is not something that would square with what we would call the American dream. Yeah. It's like, yeah, wow. So 70 years from now, if you're, if you're 20, if I lived in 90 and somebody can ca- carry my frail body back, and you know, there, there is that reference, of course, you know, uh, you know, when we read Ezra Nehemiah, when the temple's rebuilt, the, the few older gray hairs that could yeah. remember. Who saw the first one, yeah. Yeah, the glory of Solomon's temple are weeping. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the, the, you know, the new kids on the block, hey, this is cool, we got a temple <laughs> back. But, you know, so even in its immediate context, I would say there are lessons to be understood about what God means when he says to give you a future and a hope. And I love, Steve, what you shared, because to me, this is always where I go with the healing debate. Yeah. When people talk about healing. Over-realized eschatology. Exactly. Yeah, and I yeah say, healing's yeah, coming. Healing's coming for yeah. everybody. That's right. Yeah. Everybody. Those that have passed on and go to glory, my goodness, and that hope of that resurrection body still future, Yep. everybody gets it it's because just not of now. Jesus. It's just yeah. not now. Yeah. Some, some people, by the grace of God, may get a temporary restoration of life, and, yeah. and that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's no promise to that. And I think of, uh, now I'm rusty on this, but when Paul talks about leaving he says, I left somebody sick at Miletus. Yes, Trophimus. Trophimus. Uh-huh. Good. Man, yeah. Bible trivia award. <laughs> Isn't that, I, I must say, by the way, as a pastor, there is no more terrifying game than Bible trivia because everybody expects you, you should know it all. to know the names. Yeah. And they're uh-huh. like, well, Greg probably knows that. Uh-huh. I'm like, yes, that yeah. would be. Uh, so we're in Leviticus 19, verse yeah. 4. <laughs> exactly. What's the next word? That would be Simon Rudikoffus. <laughs> um, and hope that doesn't sound too Russian or something. Uh-huh. And. Um, yeah, but but I do I, these promises as they come even to Israel in their original format don't quite fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we would expect them to fit. So now you're getting so far removed to an 18 year old, 22 year old in 2015 graduating from a good school, good college, could wrongly think, "Oh, the Bible guarantees me this." When in fact, yeah, it yeah. Doesn't. And you know, it, it can even feed into this problem that an 18 year old or a 88 year old is probably facing anyway. Even though we understand grace, right? It's all grace. Salvation is by grace. We live the Christian life by grace. There, there's a legalist inside of all of us that tends to think, um, you know, now I'm obeying Christ. I'm yeah. one of his people. Yeah. I'm pleasing him. I'm doing the things that honor him. I'm keeping his commandments. Like, right, haha, you really right, aren't, right? right? But, but I'm doing the things that please him, and I have this relationship with God, so my job is to keep his commands, and his yeah. job is... He'll bless me. He'll bless me, meaning I'll be healthy. And then what happens is when I don't get the job, when she says, no, I won't marry you, when my health fails, you shake your fist at God and say, wait a minute, you're not keeping your part of the deal. I've been down here obeying you and serving you, and and look what you allowed into my life. A lot of us do that when push comes to shove. So now you add a verse like this on the top of it. It's like the icing. It's the whipped cream. Uh, People are going to read this verse and say, oh, I really do get to expect things from God. Great point. Great point. So a practical question, Steve, what do we do now as pastors if anybody in our uh, churches are listening to this that purchased like greeting cards and napkins and <laughs> banners and cakes? I, I think we run for the hills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say I'm, I'm not preaching Sunday. So, That's right. Uh, so you don't have to worry yeah, about it. Uh-huh. Say Mark Sweeney's on. I'll so be away. Yeah, yeah, there you go, uh-huh. man. We, it's up we, for them. Greg, to do. we do what every good Christian does. We boycott him. Yes, very good. That's <laughs> that is our biblical duty uh. <laughs> to boycott. By the way, have you ever seen the list of things? Have you ever been given one of those lists of the things you're... Dude, it's like you can't buy anything. Right. If you ever see these lists that you can't purchase things at Walmart, Starbucks, oh, yeah. Target. Target. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't drive GM, yeah, can't it, drive Ford. You, just, yeah. you can't go anywhere. You're yeah. like, wow, man, I got to get like a camel or something and just start riding into, in, you know, into town. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we'll save that for another That's day. That's right. 
Um, and, and I think too, to you guys' point, I, I think that's a consistency that we see with the Bible is, is always looking forward. There's never a point I feel like where you read, um, you know, Abraham, you read even David, you read in the new Testament where they feel like I I've settled in and I've arrived and I've received all of God's blessings. Right. You know, the old Testament was all looking forward to, to the coming of the Messiah. And in the new Testament, it's all, when's he going to return? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's never this feeling of, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm all squared away and set here on earth right now as it is. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're man. right. There, there's a lot of assumptions there. There's a lot of, um, it's almost like in order to experience that promise, the way it's modernly understood by so many, you, you have to live about 80 years. You have to be <laughs> in relatively good health. Yeah. Suddenly drop dead one day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then things no pain. Just, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, in your sleep, drift uh-huh. off to a great dream. A lot of money deal. left in the bank. You give it to your kids. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. There, there's a lot of things that have to happen for us to say, wow, that, that really fits. And uh, again, you just read the great biographies, whether it's a Bonhoeff or, you know, you know, Corey Tim Boom, whoever it is. Right. Even their life stories don't really didn't match. happen. No, yeah. it didn't happen. My life story isn't matching. So. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So I understand. Wait a minute. There's something yeah. wrong here. <laughs> When's it coming? Man? Look at your arm, Steve. <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. When's it coming? Yeah. Yeah. So how do we um, how do we now look at this? Because we're going to transition into um, a discussion, Marriage 2.0. Uh, Greg, you have some uh, thoughts that people have given you that we're going to address to Steve. To Steve, so how do we look at this in terms of marriage and our future spouse? Hmm. Good point. Yeah. Well, I think uh, again, if um, you're expecting, if someone is expecting marriage to fit into this idea of a very pleasant, <clears throat> um, you know, just just very almost <laughs> soothing picture. Right. Yeah, wow, you're going to be surprised. I mean, one of my uh, great seminary profs, Charles Zimmerman, who I had Mm. at uh, at you know biblical where I went, he um, his constant analogy is he said I tell couples when I meet with them before they get married that look you've been told that marriage is a cruise ship and he goes and marriage is a battleship. (laughs) Um, And he says and I burst a lot of bubbles right there because to tell a couple that's just you know, googly-eyed, in love, just hanging on each other's every word, that they're going to face something like that is a bit of a killjoy. And, and you don't want to rob a couple of all their sort of romantic right. feelings that they have in those, those early years. But obviously, anybody that's been married for at least, I don't know, five minutes has learned that, <laughs> yeah. you know, there is some work, that yeah. there's some sweat equity that has to be put in to anything you build that's of solid value. Yeah. Do you do, you do premarital counseling? Uh, not as much as I used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, same, I have. same here. Not yeah. as much. And I've often had this theory. I don't really mean this, but it's it's kind of tongue in cheek. And that is, premarital counseling is absolutely worthless. Yeah, because <laughs> they they sit there with these glazed eyes, this big grin. Yeah, we're getting married in three months. We're getting married in two months. We're getting married in one month. And any problems you talk about make no connection to their psyche at all. Agreed. But post-marital counseling yes. like, let's, let's meet six months after yes. oh man you got lots to talk about yeah absolutely because they've been in the battleship yeah that's a great point steve in yeah. fact i do try to tell a couple but i think to your point even though you say it i still don't think they hear it yeah they Usually, don't they don't I, get it i, I will try to no. tell the couple that guys you're thinking and uh, as i was too you're you're thinking of your wedding day well let me be a little more blunt the wife is probably thinking of the wedding day <laughs> yeah <laughs> The groom to be is thinking of the a wedding later night. that night. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. but either way, they're thinking of a very specific uh, short moment period in time. of time, a specific <laughs> moment in time that they've been thinking about, 
and that's understandable. That's natural. We can we can affirm that. There are some some good things there, of course. But I try to tell them I'm thinking about you guys about seven and a half years after that on a dreary gray March afternoon where baby screamed all night. Baby screamed all night. You know, uh, the strep throat is in the house. You know what? Whatever it is, money's a little tight. Yeah. Um, you're, uh, you're, you've had some extended family over recently that's caused some friction. And I say, that's what I'm thinking about in everything that I say to you. I'm not saying I don't care about your wedding day, but I guess to be honest, dude, I don't care that much. Yeah. Great day. I'm happy for you. Yeah, but, yeah, it's a great day. And it has almost little to no connection to the rest Real of your life. years <laughs> that, that you're going to have after you. So, yeah, I would say to your question, Nathan, I think one of the most important things to, to share with people is don't wow we got some thunder in the background right. folks huh. see could i say god's affirming what we're saying that's right. uh, or, yeah, dude, i don't know yeah, I, I don't let's know. see if it gets louder i don't know how or, to interpret or we'll see if that. the power goes out, yeah. the power goes out. <laughs> <laughs> we have our answer that would do it um but yeah the 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 notion of a peaches and cream yeah. kind of marriage and, and again we, we don't even need, need to say this to people that have been married for any length of time yeah. is something that can unfortunately tie into that american dream picture yeah so, um, Greg, now you, you've actually um, dealt with a few people since we had our initial marriage conversation with yes. Steve. They've come and uh, commented. Yes. Um, tell us about that, because I actually haven't even heard a ton of those comments. No, no, point. I haven't so, really told yeah. you much. I may have hinted at one or two of them. Yeah. I mean, other than, what, a couple of the labels, uh, heretic... <laughs> Uh, oh, it? I'm used to that. Yeah, I was like, I thought you had something real. Yeah. It's like, come uh-huh. on, at least give me blasphemy. Yeah. Right? Give, me, give me something. I no. get that after a six, Sunday six, sermon. Six, six, six on my forehead yeah. or something. <laughs> no, Steve, I got a lot of comments from, I'd say, four or five people over the course of a few weeks that said, man, that marriage one you guys did. And that dude you had that, what was that, Heartland? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'd never heard that. So just a quick review. First of all. If you're listening to this podcast and you're new, just go back, what was it, a a month or so ago. About that, yep. And uh, look for the ones that Steve Hartland is in. You can search that now. We have a little search window I just saw on our website. You can type in Steve Hartland and you'll find all the ones that Steve's been a part of. This is your fourth or fifth now, I think, brother. Yep. And uh, Steve, um, you you threw out some interesting things there about um, how we understand uh, marriage in relationship to the state. Uh, or perhaps not in relationship to the state. You know, do we need the piece of paper? And, that, and really, I mean, eye-opening for me. I've been thinking about it ever since. One of the takeaways, and I, and I sensed it even the day we talked, and I'll just give you this one. A few people have said to me, now, the only thing I want to know, I got two kids, right? Freshmen yep, I in I knew this college. was coming. Yes. I knew this was it. And I'm, I'm glad. I'm ready for it. Yes, Go and ahead. They, they are going to hear this, and uh-huh. they might think, uh-huh. well, you tell me, Steve, what might they think? Yeah, they might think, well, hey, we can just declare we're married, and we can start you know, exactly. living like married people do, and we'll inform mom and dad back home someday. Yes. Yeah. So representing those people, my answer was, yeah, guys, I don't know. I have any idea what Steve was talking about. No, no, <laughs> I, not at all. I actually told them, I said, well, I, I think Steve would say, and I gave a few answers, because just to say, but I'm not buttering you up. I know I know you're solid. Uh, I know you are word driven, word centered. So uh, and you know, I think most people that hear you can tell that just from the way you reference the word, and and you're obviously uh, your mind is uh, is held captive to it, as Luther would have said. Um, but give the Steve Hartland response to that. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, let me back up farther than you want me to first. Okay, good. And, no, and, that's and good. Just, just <laughs> take say, a running start, brother. Let me just say, I am not. Uh, I am not saying that people should not get the paper. Right. In fact, t- quite to the contrary, I would say 
you're really stupid if you don't get the paper because yeah. there's about 500 financial advantages to getting the state paper. So, wow. so I'd say by all means, you know, if you're getting married, get the state paper. And I think 99.999% of all people we know and all couples in our church and all young people at college are going to do just that. It's yeah. deep in our culture. It's what's expected. It's what the parents expect. It's what the whole family expects. They want it. They're just going to go ahead and do that. So to a certain extent, this whole conversation is sort of uh, theoretical, yeah. sort of academic. Um, but it's come up for several reasons. It's come up because of gay marriage in particular. Sure. That's forced us to think, all right, wait a minute. What is the state's role in defining marriage? Uh, how much authority does the state have to define marriage? What's their role in it? And it's made theologians go back to Scripture and recognize, you know, in Scripture, more more thunder. Wow. Does that mean I'm, I better stop? No, I mean, you're on, <laughs> you're on the ominous note here. Keep in, in Scripture, uh, you know, marriage is, what's the essence of marriage? We said it in that broadcast, mm-hmm. we'll say it in this one again, that podcast, pardon me, that it's a covenant between a man and a woman and God. So then these good people rightly say, well, then, you know, what's to keep my kids? Well, first I want to ask, uh, in, in all the parts of the world today where there's no state involvement in marriage, and there are lots of them, sure. and huge ones, yeah. and in gobs of past history, probably the greater part of past history, human history, there was no state involvement in marriage. How did they keep their kids from being at college and saying, look, we're just going to declare ourselves married? And I think the answer is family. Yeah. There's a commitment to family. Like when, when I send my kid to college, he better hadn't buy a car without asking me, right? And he knows that. So yeah. he doesn't buy a car. Yeah. When I send my kid to college, he doesn't buy a house. Well, he has no money anyway. Right. But he, right. Yeah, right. he wouldn't buy a house without asking me. Yeah. He's also not going to get married without talking to me. Or yeah. if he is, you know what? They were going to do it anyway. Sure. Right? So I don't think we have to worry that, oh my, if we, if we more biblically define marriage and if we recognize the state doesn't really biblically have to be involved, what are my kids going to do? I think your kids are going to do exactly what they're going to do anyway. Yeah. And that is they're going to get married with the state paper in a church with a minister officiating because yep. that's what they want. Great. No, that's good. That's, you think? Even, that's that better reasonable? than my projected answer. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, the one thing that I said is that I did reference that you made it very clear that, look, I mean, you're, you're very much, again, a bloom where you're planted guy, Steve, and that's a phrase we use here a lot. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you live in 21st century America, just generally wise. Yeah, do uh, it. Yeah, to, to do whatever the, the law is requiring that's not explicitly contradicting Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the 500 uh, benefits, uh, uh, financial benefits, and, and all those things, I think, uh, play into that. Um, interesting what you say about the family, because it does sound to me, Steve, like you are suggesting, and, and I think I'm, I'm agreeing with you on this, I'm just thinking out loud, that there needs in any major life decision, whether that's a kid who buys his first apartment or house or car or condo, whatever it may be, uh, choosing college, that there, there, there does seem to be a need for external authoritative confirmation. Affirmation, that's right. Affirmation, yeah. people that say, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Especially, I think you should do that. Especially when I'm still paying for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Serious, yeah. you know? Absolutely. I'm still yeah. paying for your college. I'm yeah. still paying for your car. I'm paying for your auto insurance yeah. or whatever it is. Uh, so you really owe me some stuff here. And, you know, if they want to be married... They could slip off to Vegas or the Justice of the Peace sure. or wherever, and they could just get married legally, Maryland legal, and not even tell you. Yeah. So you know, the idea that the only way I can keep them holy is if we make them get the Maryland paper for it's not so. No, that's a great point. Yeah. That's yeah. A, a great point. And the other question I got from you, or for you, Steve, was from a woman who just loved that podcast, by the way, said, I did have a question, and the question is... Uh, 
you had given an uh, example of a couple that you took into your church. Years who, ago, yeah, yeah. Years ago that the elders sort of had the, wow, what do we do with this? Yeah. And you prayed uh-huh. and, and you know, reconvened and decided that you would uh, accept their marriage as legit. Yes. You guys take them into church, which I think is all, all well and good. This woman asked me the question, what happens to a woman who is married to a guy outside of the state's blessing, for lack of a better word, uh, and their acknowledgement, and now uh, they go through a messy breakup slash divorce, uh, wouldn't that potentially expose the woman to the whims of a, say, the husband is the breadwinner? Uh, She has no legal recourse uh, to fall back on and pursue, where in the state of Maryland, I think, isn't it 50-50? Technically, um, I I think that's right, that they they sort of, unless you have some prenuptial kind of (laughs) agreement that everything you own, you own fully 50% equally. Mm -hmm. So that this woman was just asking, would that potentially put a woman in in a more traditional setting where the man works at risk if she doesn't get the state license? I was just curious what your thought was. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question and one I had considered when thinking about this whole matter too. And... uh, it used to be, well, actually, there are still states that uh, recognize what is called common law marriage. Right. Maryland, I'm pretty sure, does not. Yeah. Uh, but in states where they recognize common law marriage, that means you didn't get the sheet of paper, but you've been living together for X amount of time, and they'll, right. they'll recognize you as married. And and if that marriage splits up, the woman and the children do have some legal protection. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. But in Maryland, where there's no common law marriage, yeah, you wouldn't have that, and that's not so good. Right. Because as we know, men will abuse, right? Sure. Men will take advantage of women and children. The state is especially concerned about children. When there are divorces, a lot of the decisions the state makes are about the children. What's yeah. good for the children? How do we protect the children? And so on and so forth. Yeah. So uh, it's a real advantage to have a state that does that, yeah. that takes care of the women, takes care of the children. Yeah. So that's probably another reason why 99.999% of people ought to go ahead and get that paper. Right. Yeah. Right. Great. That was it. Those were my follow-ups. Yeah. yeah and. Steve, to your point too, wouldn't you think that a church who um, accepts a family like this would also help a family like this in yes. distress if something uh, happened? The problem is we have no legal way of making that man. Right. He could just right. flee, right? right? We have no way of making him. No, exactly. Him. But yeah. that's hopefully the church would be there for, you know, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be, you know, benevolent fund or anything like that, but something uh, to uh-huh. help this woman and her family. Oh, I if see. That that's happened. what you meant. I was thinking yeah. you meant we would put pressure on that scoundrel yeah, no, 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 of a man. Not, not necessarily. Well, we that. would do that too. Right. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. Right. I mean, you, I mean, it's worth yeah. trying. Come on. Right. You ought to help, right. but he's probably going to flee to probably. Right. Yeah. But, but at that point, you know, if the church is taking a stance like this, the church would hopefully be there to protect in, sure. in a case like this as well and yeah. help out. Yes. Which, if you think about it, Nathan, it should be anyway, right. whether there's a license or not. Yeah. But in, I think, yeah. you know, to, to your point, in the case where there is no license, yeah. I mean, all the more reason for the church to be, again, that sort of external, whether that's a family for right. a young man making major decisions, uh, particularly, as you said, when the parents are subsidizing those decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they should have a role in informing yeah, uh, those young people what choices they make. But in the case of a marriage, how much more should the church be involved? Yeah. Um, so we have not had that. See, Steve, right after that podcast, I want that to happen to us because I think it would be such a healthy discussion for my elder team. Say, have to face that, huh? Yes, hey, let's uh-huh. bring Hartland in as a, as a consultant slash advisor. Uh-huh. Now, 
Can I take a little longer in this topic yeah, and push yeah, back at Greg about something? Please. Uh, the uh, the bloom where you're planted idea comes out of this same chapter, Jeremiah 29. Right. And again, I'm operating in the King James Version against my desires here. Yeah. <laughs> my, my app just switched to that. Speaketh, brother. Speaketh. Yeah, it's really something. Looking back, I haven't seen this in a while. Yeah. But, you know, it, it basically, to summarize it, it says, go ahead, and this reads, build ye houses. Right. All right, build houses, plant gardens, eat the fruit, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your kids. Uh, let them bear sons and daughters, be increased, don't be diminished, and seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captives. Pray for it, for in the peace thereof shall you have peace. Yeah. So from that, you've derived a principle which you have aptly called, uh, I, I agree with you on it, yeah. bloom where you planted. Yeah. Then you made some applications from that principle, like your application in our marriage talk was uh, pretty much, you know, we're in Maryland here, so people who get married ought to. Sure. Right, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I want to push back on that. Please. And here's here's the broader question is, once we drive a principle from a passage like that, you've done it, we've done it correctly, I think. The principle is bloom where you're planted. We'll right. call it that. Um, we need to recognize we've got to be very careful when we jump from our principle to its application. Agreed. It's like the Gary Ezzo thing we talked about once. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I named him. Yeah. Where, you know, no, the, no, we just he, uh, named him in our Monday oh, Night Did you really? Yeah. Yep. He's famous in this uh, he's podcast. He's famous now. Where We're he, infamous. Like, for example, he rightly recognized that the marriage is, is prior to children, right? So the husband-wife relationship is kind of more important than the parent-children relationship. It's yeah. the prior one anyway. Right, yeah. So then that's all fine and well. But then he says, so here's an application of that. When the husband gets home from work, you don't pay any attention to the kids for the first 10 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever it is. And the kids have to wait. And by this, they learn mommy and daddy come first and it will make them secure and strong and all that. And I just want to say, baloney, right? I agree. Where where do you get that? Heard that. So it's it's in making our applications from principles that we get into trouble. My question is how many, what kind of applications can you make from the bloom where you're planted principle uh-huh. specifically can you really say so people ought to do the state thing when they marry uh good wow steve you wow. were just silenced by that i think i need to <laughs> just <laughs> fall on my face silent. and fast and pray for a <laughs> yes. while here boom um no i think that's a great point in fact steve you know uh well you probably don't know nathan would know more since you hear me preach all the yeah. time um as you know i'm i'm reluctant maybe to a fault, to ever do application uh, because huh. of that reason. Yeah. Um, the few times I furnish personal applications from my life, I feel very uncomfortable because I recognize, you know, sort of it's, it's a little cliche, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. One meaning, multiple applications. Yes, amen. You know, so a text should have one meaning, but it could be applied multiple ways. Yeah. And, you know, we've given that example of, you know, people say, well, the Bible says raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um so apply that, make an application of that to television. And some families say there's no way mm-hmm. I can bring a TV into my house because there's so much smut, which, yeah, there certainly is a lot of smut that could come in, get into the minds of my children, pollute their thinking. So you could say a Christian should not own a TV. And some but, people do. And some people do yeah. say that. Almost as <laughs> Some if well-known people say it. It's the equivalent uh-huh. of the verse. Yeah. You know, raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, some people would say, others would say, of course, dude, you can get a TV. Uh, just monitor it carefully. Yeah. You know, you, your, your kids aren't watching things. You, whatever. Put the TV in the middle of the family room. Don't give them one in their bedroom. Um, that's another application. Other people might say, no, I'm fine with putting one in their bedroom, but I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to instruct, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so the whole application thing, Steve, to your question is, I mean, a slippery slope. So I got to tell you, dude, it's weird for me. I like it to be called out on being too specific in an application because that's my that's my proud claim to fame. You know, I'm like, no, I call you out on that, brother. Don't. But so I'm glad that you're you're doing it, Steve. And I would say, uh, 
Let me go uh, Oliver North here. I don't recall say- No, no, I do. <laughs> I, I think I do recall saying that. I uh, probably would better say, Steve, that that is my personal application of it, which is fine because yeah. everybody's going to make a personal application of a principle they see in Scripture. But no, I think you're right. I should not tell somebody. So I'm not going to put a, much of a fight here for you, brother. I should not tell somebody this is what you should do unless I can not show an application, but a scripture that yeah, says there that. You go. Uh-huh. I could say, look, I see this principle, so here's how I would choose to apply it, but talk me through how you would apply it. Talk you know, talk to me about what things factor into the way you work through this issue. So, no, dude, that's, that's welcome pushback. And, uh, yeah, I would say, let me uh, kind of right in the moment, this podcast, re-edit what I formerly said. Uh, I would say... I don't think the principle of bloom where you're planted means that you uh, have to get a license from the state of Maryland to get married. Um, the bloom where you're planted principle for me makes sense that I would choose to do that. And therefore, since I would do it, yeah. But we tend to think everybody should do what we do, right? right. Yeah. Um, but no, I, Steve, as they say in the Baptist church, I receive that, brother. You receive that. Uh-huh. I receive it, and thank you. That was just too easy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. I thought you were going to hit me something really hard. <laughs> we, we can come back on that later. Yeah. And we still all agree, you know, 99.9% will and probably should for financial reasons sure. and legal reasons, protect the women, the children, go get that piece of paper. Yeah. 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 So here's my question. Where do we start drawing the line for certain things, you know, because scripture doesn't explicitly talk about pornography. Right. So, but we make a general application because sure. it talks about staying away from sexual immorality. Right. That we stay away from from pornography, but it doesn't explicitly say that. So, so where do we draw the line? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a question for Steve Hartland. <laughs> I was just thinking yeah. you would be a good guy. To ask. Uh-huh. Uh, where do we draw the line? I don't know. Somehow that's too vague. Isn't it? Somehow we need to be able to show that our application is warranted by some text of scripture. Um, I convince myself of almost any application I want, but then if I air it out with you and you and them and them and them and read church history, has anyone else ever found this application? There's safety in a multitude of those counselors. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's too vague, isn't it? But, you know, can I really justifiably say this comes out of Scripture? Um, So more than just going on a whim and just, you know, I I guess more than more than just what your own justifications are. You know, getting that broader group, as we were talking about earlier, getting that broader group, getting that broader sense of what what have others said about this? What what are others yes. doing about this yeah. subject yeah. and topic? That that um, I, I hate to use the word we could use it to justify what we're doing, but essentially that's kind of what we're it's kind saying. of a quality control. Yeah. But we're still recognizing that scripture has one meaning, many applications. Yeah. Uh, if this passage has you know two thousand legitimate applications. Um, 1,099 of them might not apply to me. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're time-sensitive, they're uh, mm-hmm. location-sensitive, sure. and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So, for example, uh, how do you apply children obey your parents here with an 18-year-old, and how do you apply children obey your parents in Korea with an 18-year-old? Right. Mm-hmm. Probably very different, right? Sure. They look very different. Sure. Good, yeah. good point. Yeah, and I think, too, um, I like the point about reading the Bible in community. Um I know this so, sort of a friend of a friend, but a, a dude who's fairly well known. I'm going to tease that, and not say who it is. Isn't that, isn't that frustrating? Ooh. Uh, I'll just tell you guys when we're done. There but you go. <laughs> um, 
No, I'm going to tell you it was Francis Chan. Uh, <laughs> who cares? Uh-huh. Why am I pausing about this? I heard this through a reliable source that when Francis Chan was uh, talking to folks at Gospel Coalition uh, a few years back, he uh, was sort of being interviewed as to whether or not he was going to be a member. And um, from what I've been told, and I can picture this, having heard a lot of Francis Chan stuff. I like a lot of Francis Chan. Some of them I don't, but that's mm-hmm. just me. Save that for another podcast again. But he was making the point that, you know, we, we need to be just reading the Bible on our own, and we need to be asking the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit to open up its meaning for us. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the council guys told him, right, we hear that. You do realize that what you're saying is often the seedbed of heresy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that when you read the Bible outside of community and outside of the larger confines of the church, we, it, it, you know, in other words, it's always a pendulum. Yes, in the medieval um, expression of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, only the priests could read it, interpret it. The, the, the commoner didn't have access to it. And of course, we know the great stories of the Reformation in the Bible and the German, etc. Um, yeah, so we, we rightly say, no, the people should have the Bible in their hands and read it for themselves. But you can go too far. You can say that somebody can be reading the Bible for themselves in an attic somewhere, and I don't need anybody else. I don't need any other Christians holding my interpretation in check. So to, to apply that principle, Nathan, your good question on pornography, can I find a specific verse that says, thou shall not go on the internet um, and click on these various sites? No. Uh, but you read the scriptures about lust. You read the scriptures about battling uh, the desires of the flesh. You talk to other Christian brothers about their struggles. You talk about pornography. And, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a dude that would say, yeah, I came away and everybody thought pornography was fine. Yeah. You know, because it's one of those things we read it together we start thinking through these things together, and you can kind of see um, the what I would say common sense wisdom, but also commonly held wisdom mm-hmm. of Christians through the ages. Doesn't mean there's never a time to be the voice of dissent. I think sometimes there are. The church can go mm-hmm. status quo. So mm-hmm. again, it's always balance. Yeah, I had a professor who put it this way, and I'm sure you've heard it this way. Church history, he would say, is the quality control on my interpretation of the Scripture. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Has, has anyone else ever found this in the Bible before? And if not, I'm probably wrong. That's right? good. Yeah. And uh, this goes also to these guys who say, you know, I don't read commentaries. I don't need anybody else's. Um, but uh, but I teach a class, and they all ought to listen to me. Right, right. right. Well, how yeah. come they should listen to you if you won't listen to the commentators who went before? Right. So, And really, you know. isn't all that dude... Teaching is his own commentary. Oh, that's it. Right. Yeah, he's yeah. given a commentary. Right. Yeah, he yeah. expects other people to listen to his. He doesn't want to listen to somebody else. Love that quote. Scary there. guy. Yeah, the quality control on my 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 interpretation. <laughs> yeah, church history. Yeah, uh, I know another quote that's going to show up on Sunday mornings. Now. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yes, and I'll claim full credit. That's for right. It. <laughs> on Francis Chan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I've probably listened to him. Five or ten times. Yeah. Um, I love him. You have to love him, right? You yeah. love him. You love his heart. Oh, it's you just, pure passion. You, yeah, his passion, his love for Christ, his commitment to the kingdom. I just like to hear more scripture exegesis. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I think he's more of me. a storyteller exhorter yeah, yeah, uh-huh. you know, than more of a expository yeah. teacher. And I mean, even who am I? Thousands and thousands and thousands go to hear him, and then I'm no. pastor at Trinity. But anyway. No, but uh-huh. there, there, there's something to be said, Steve, about a, a guy with a charismatic personality, yeah. you know, which he definitely has. He really does, man. He's, he's warm-hearted. He's speaker. He's yeah. very warm. He's smiley. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's always smiling. I Instantly likable. I've looked at him and thought, I ought to smile more. <laughs> no, I just can't. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, dude? If you did it, he was like, what is Harlan What's doing? What's wrong with him? You know, drugs facial today? facial twitch and I'm contorsing on there? Yeah, it's so true. You have to be who you are but i i kind of felt the same dude even about driscoll i know driscoll's a whole other subject yeah uh i mean when before everything you know sort of went went south for him 
I listened to him like a lot of guys did. Um, a little more, but a lot of Driscoll to me was even exhortation storytelling type stuff. Yes, in fact, he, he would always talk about, and you know, and I'm not for or against Driscoll. I don't know what happened out right, there, and all, right. but and there are many things I respect and appreciate about him. Sure, but I noticed this in his preaching. He would always talk about, uh, you know, we, we systematically preach through books of the Bible, and I always thought, no, you don't. I agree. You I really agree. don't. <laughs> yeah. You you go through books and you pick out topics that are suggested by the text, and you preach those topics. Agree. But I don't think he really knows what like exposition bible exposition looks like yeah like an alistair Begg would or a right. john macarthur would sure. or you know other guys yeah. yeah no no i'm i'm with you exactly i think um you know i heard somebody say that remember barnhouse's romans commentary i think i heard macarthur say yeah barnhouse's commentary on romans is not really a commentary on <laughs> it's romans. not romans yeah he says it's really it starts with romans and then it leads to topics that barnhouse wants to talk uh-huh. about and then you come back yeah. Uh, I think there is some exposition in there, but I, I will say, I know we weren't planning to talk about this, Nathan, but yeah. since it came up, came right. up. that is a common thing. I've often said it's a lot, like I love preaching a message on the importance of Old Testament exposition much more than I like expositing Old Testament text. <laughs> yeah, same as so, that. So, you know, uh-huh. when, I, when I've done Amos and, and Joshua, we did the first half, and Lord willing, we'll come back to the second half later on this summer. Um, wow. It's hard. Hard work. It, hard work, and it's hard to find models that do it well. It's not like going through First Corinthians, is no, it? No, no. I mean, yeah. I'm doing First Peter now, which yeah. is hard in a different right because of the subject yep. matter. But in terms of the mechanics of preaching, much easier. Mm-hmm. Let me hasten to say, a guy like Driscoll, um, you know, he preaches pretty much topically through books of the Bible. Right. I'm not against that. Right. Like Spurgeon preached topically I his agree. entire life, right? I agree. And he was a pretty good dude, right? Yeah. So I'm okay with that. And I don't think scripture mandates one kind of preaching or another, but let's call it what it is. Agreed. You're really a topical preacher. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Agreed. And he did great, did, did a lot of people a lot of good. Yep. It kind of crashed and burned at the end. Right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go ahead and um, just move into the next topic quickly. Greg, uh, it was, I guess, two weeks ago now, now that we're doing this podcast, you preached on uh, wives submitting to their husbands. Yep. So just because the, the women of, of Christ Fellowship begged me to that's to right that that's right but you did dodge a bullet with uh, avoiding it on mother's day yes. so kudos to you on that mm. yes um well maybe maybe <laughs> just so you know steve I, I think some people have heard this and forgive me if you're listening and you've heard it a lot it dawned on me as i was preaching about two or three weeks before mother's day because i sort of know and you know you know where you're going in a text yeah. i kind of take the unit of thought and where i'll be next week and yep. and I, I had an aha moment and everybody laughed i said wow i'm I think I'm preaching, set to preach on First Peter 3, <laughs> 1 through 6. On Mother's Day. On Mother's Day. Oops. Wives, which is what the text would have been. I right. chose not to do that, yeah. uh, which for many, many reasons, and I covered it the following week. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so go ahead and just uh, briefly recap. Um, wives submitting to their husbands, yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna just talk about that for a little bit in our remaining time. Yeah, my uh, executive pastor Mark uh, Sweeney, who I mentioned a lot, good friend of mine, he'll be on here and. A short order yes. uh, to talk about the age of the earth and uh, have a little debate with our friend Jeff in uh, Alaska about that. Um, he uh, was affirming, but he said, you know, Greg, you, you, to me, you preach a little more on what the text doesn't mean than what it does mean. And I would say I agree. Yeah. Uh, okay, for many reasons. One, submission is really, this is the third wave by the time Peter gets to wives. You know, he's talked about being uh, submissive, uh, to those in authority over you. And it gives examples yeah. of that. Uh, one, in government. Two, in, for lack of a better word, an employment situation, which yeah. would be the application 
of uh, slavery in the first century. And thirdly, he gets to wives. So I felt that we had covered the concept of submission, to voluntarily put yourself under yeah. somebody that might not even be the most likable, somebody that might not be the most commendable person. Uh, and the same can hold true for husbands. So in one sense, I had felt that we had almost exhausted the word submit, which is to voluntarily put yourself under in a place of support and respect. Yeah. Um, and so we got to that with uh, husbands, uh, I'm sorry, wives submit to your husbands. And I realized that there is just, you know, a, a multitude of unhelpful ideas, distorted ideas. So I started with mm-hmm. an example from John Piper's life and ministry where he gave an example of a dude in his office who literally said that he applied submission in his own home in this way. His wife had to ask permission to move from one room in the house to the other. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I know, dude, isn't it? So I said... I, I need to try that at home and just oh, see yeah, where yeah. that goes. <laughs> Let me know. Debbie, if you're yeah. listening, please call uh-huh. in and tell us how that works. It was nice knowing you, <laughs> yeah. Steve. Yeah. I'm telling you, Steve. Come we've to my got, funeral. You know, we got a couch next door in the West Wing. <laughs> There's a shower over there. I might have to move out of state. You, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, you can hang out there for a while as your hideout. Um, so that was an example. And, and what I said uh, in, in that message was, okay, now imagine this dude's name is Joe Schmo, okay? Really original name there. And uh, he's a bright dude. He, he works, uh, he's a network administrator at IBM or something. And uh, he's a committed Christian. And he's telling his coworkers, you know, a guy says, yeah, my wife and I just aren't getting along. And he shares with this guy the secret of a good marriage. And once you know your role place, uh-huh. it's good. Now this guy Dude, you wouldn't believe what Joe told me. His wife does this. Now people think, see, you can't. That's why I don't believe the Bible. Yeah. Because what they're, yeah. they're actually not getting the Bible. It's a caricature of the Bible. <laughs> yes, they're yeah. getting yeah. a caricature, a total distortion, yeah. thinking it's the same thing. And there are so many of those distortions around on this topic. Yes. Yeah. So I yeah. kind of felt it was, oh, sounds a little too military to say my pastoral duty, but whatever the right, more modest term is, mm-hmm. sort of an obligation I had to the congregation to make sure that the distortions don't creep in and redefine what the text actually says. Yeah. So that, that was sort of my approach. And, you know, I did tell women that, uh, one, if you're struggling with this concept of submission, I identify with you, number one, because I do think there have been so many distortions, and there is such potential for misuse and abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I said, could it be, however, that uh, you have bought into a myth that a, a difference in roles means a difference in equality? Which, you know, mm-hmm. that's why I went to the Trinity that yeah. day to give the classic example, mm-hmm. you know, that Jesus is equally the God as the Father and the Spirit are. But it's not the Holy Spirit that dies as a Galilean peasant on the cross. Yeah. That's what Jesus did. Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say the Son sent the Father. It's always consistently the Father sent the Son. Mm-hmm. Nowhere does it say that Jesus' role is to glorify <laughs> the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies him yeah. so that they have distinctive roles. But we all know, right? Most Christians that have been well taught know that all are equally God. Yeah. So that that's the angle that I, I really try to take, making sure we understood submission, that it does uh, speak of a wife's pledge voluntarily to support uh, her husband, respect, cherish, defer when necessary. Um, but I wanted to make sure distortion wasn't there. Can we um, talk about that role section for a little bit, Greg? Mm-hmm. Because you and I have actually talked offline about this a little bit. Can you... When you talk about roles, and you're not necessarily speaking about the traditional Americana role of the husband being the breadwinner and all that stuff, correct? Yes. No, no. In fact, I did try to even—I think—I don't know which one you heard, Nathan. I 
I don't know because you know we preach here see three times, and sometimes our community groups will say, "I didn't hear that." Right, that wasn't <laughs> and, the uh, message number two. Yeah, yeah, and I think, boy, I'm doing a great job of consistency, right? Um, I did. I think I addressed at least in one of the messages that this is not intended to suggest a woman is wrong if she works. Yeah. Um, mm. So no, I'm definitely not talking about the man goes out and works, the wife stays home as June Cleaver. Um, yeah. I, some some do choose to do right. that. The irony is we've actually chosen to do that. Right. But we don't. I don't think that is to be universalized. Right. Um, I think I might argue that I think it's helpful uh, whenever possible. I'm willing to say it's not ever possible. So no, I the, the roles had much more to do with the orientation of the heart, mm-hmm. how we understand the way we relate to each other as husband and wife. But I'm watch this, Nathan. Steve, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Drink this ice water here. I, I'm sure you you probably even talked about this in your sermon, or if you didn't, you should have. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. uh, you know, the pill for the woman to swallow, the pill of submission is made less of a pill and more of a pleasure when she's uh, being submissive to a man who's loving her like Christ loved yes. the church, yeah. submissive to a man who uh, looks not only for his own interest but also for the interest of the other, sure. for a man who realizes that whoever is first must be last and must be a servant of all. So uh, you know, leadership and authority, being the guy, takes a very different form in the kingdom of God than yes. it does among the Gentiles who lord it over and so yeah. on. So when a woman who has a guy who's rightly perceiving his role to deny himself, sacrifice himself, his male head is for her blessing and benefit and joy, not for his own, you know, pass me the remote, get me my dinner, do sure. what I want, right? He's there for her to serve her. It's a whole lot easier for that woman to say, wow, I'll, I'll submit to that. Yeah. I'll affirm that kind of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's kind of a package that can either work all together, or if you only have one piece or the other, it isn't going to work so good. Right. Right. Yeah. I heard a guy say that year. It might have been Dobson or somebody said, which of you ladies wouldn't love to be married to a guy who was like Jesus? Yeah. Of course, the problem is, wife says, "Yeah, but uh, let me just tell you, he's not." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and That's who why, is? Steve. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've had a chance yet, but uh, my wife was on. Matt Smith's wife was on, and we kept saying we urged our respective elder boards not to listen to that podcast. <laughs> uh, but they treated us pretty well, didn't they? Nathan? They did. Yes. They, they, they treated us very well. Yes. But, huh. very no. Kind. No. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean that. That is the thought that leadership. Which is why I'm eager. I'm going to get to men next and living your wives mm-hmm. in an understanding way according to knowledge. Love that. Um, and, of course, even that one has a pitfall because you got the weaker vessel thing <laughs> you have to deal with. And I think that's actually very explainable in an affirming way, but we'll Me get too. to that you know, in, yeah. in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm uh, with you that when you consider leadership, it's upside down in the kingdom of God yes. in many ways. Yep. You've got a servant orientation to leadership. So uh, the idea of submission is not typically seen as submitting to the cruel taskmaster. Now, in fairness, the context of First Peter, it does also seem to be a strategy that you might be married to an unbelieving man mm-hmm. who hasn't yet obeyed the word so that you would win him without words. Yes. So I did kind of say, you know, there's a sense in which you could just beg and beg and beg and beg with words your husband to become a believer, um, which is going to be counterproductive, that you, you do need to speak the truth. But by showing your kindness, your love, your support to him, uh, you almost create a paradox in his mind. Well, what's, what's going on here? You know, and, mm-hmm. and the change in his wife. But also that it would take a lot of courage because I, I read a quote. I've never quoted Plutarch in a sermon. But I had the, wow. the, the, the statue of Plutarch and uh, uh. my great pun. Nathan, that he had a real stony expression. That's right. <laughs> which you could, you could hear crickets in the That's congregation. That's a great Dutcherism yeah. right there. Yeah, when uh-huh. I dropped that. <laughs> chirp, chirp, chirp. Um, but, you know, Plutarch said in sort of conventional Greek thought that a wife's role 
you adopted the gods of your husband. Hmm. If it's the mm-hmm. Greek pantheon, Roman pantheon, whomever, you just you you don't cling to your own faith. So in a sense, this takes a courageous woman to be submissive to Christ ultimately, hmm. but also to cling to her Savior. So even in the context of a quote-unquote submissive passage, you have a woman of incredible courage because if she's married to an unbeliever, she's not going to adopt his gods. She's going to swear ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ. Hmm. So now hmm. her submission to her husband, who frankly might not even be the greatest guy in the world, speaks all the more beautifully and adorns the gospel. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, there's, um, I don't know if you guys have read The Great Divorce, but sure. toward the end of that book, C.S. Lewis paints this picture of a woman who um, is just radiant and bright and shining. She comes through and, you know, following her, all of her children, the ones she led to the Lord. And you have this really kind of ugly, disgusting man who right. is represented as her husband. And all the while she's pleading with him to turn to Christ, turn to Christ, turn to right. Christ. And, you know, it's... So it's kind of that picture that you're talking about, this radiant, beautiful woman yeah. who is, you know, has lived this life under submission to this horrible man. And, you know, even in Lewis's, you know, interesting purgatory theology type thing, right. you know, there's, there's still this idea of, you know, she, her, her life is still ultimately to glorify Christ and God, and that's what she is going to reflect, and yeah. even to her husband. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture, man. So um, we are... Out of time now. We're going to go ahead. I know, right? Man. Who wants us to go another hour? <laughs> <laughs> I think I see a hand out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Steve, once again, thank you so much. Yeah, um, you're actually going to be joining us uh, in less than a couple weeks yep. um, for uh, Dr. Frame. He's going Dr. Be, John Frame. That's right. He's mm. going to be joining us. So uh, we look forward to having you back on again, and hopefully we will be in a new venue yes. at that point. Yes. So we're going to sign off now. Gentlemen, we just rocked the Casbah. Rocked it. These go to 11.